0: And I invite any kids here, kindergarten to uh, first grade, who'd like to go to children's church, you can head off to children's church. Any four-year-olds uh, who had to come in here because of the leakage in the nursery roof next door because of the ice, you're welcome to go as well. Your four, four-year-old teachers will meet you in the, the four-year as well. And any adults who would benefit from a sort of a four-year-old lesson, you may uh, also go and be a part of that. Book of Deuteronomy, chapter 8. Book of Deuteronomy, chapter 8. It's on page uh, 180 in the Pew Bible. In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 8. Is it more difficult to follow Jesus? in good times, or is it more difficult to follow Jesus in bad times? Um, Are we more prone to unbelief and are we more prone to sin in seasons of prosperity, or are we more prone to those things in seasons of austerity? Uh, You know, we just sang the words from taken from Psalm twenty three You know, the Lord is our shepherd and and, uh, we we focus on him, we try to follow him. But is it harder to keep your focus on him when he makes you lie down in green pastures and leads you beside still waters? Or is it harder to follow the shepherd when he leads us through the valley of the shadow of death? And as I was wrestling with that question in light of our text this morning, um, you know, I, I couldn't come to a good answer because there's such different kinds of experiences you know, suffering and prosperity are just so different, and the things that, that they present us with are so different. Uh, you know, in, in the former, you have the, the challenge of complacency. In the latter, you have the challenge of complaining and griping against the Lord. In the former, you tend to forget God. and the second one, you tend to fight God. And, and so it's very different sorts of experiences, almost apples and oranges. And yet, at another level, you might say at a deeper level, the, the battle is the same, the challenge is the same. It's about, will I trust God and depend upon God or not? And how you get there and how that, that sort of question is raised comes from very different angles and in different ways. But at the end of the day, this is the issue we face. Will I depend upon God or not, in the good times or the bad times? Uh, and this is an interesting text to be looking at as we think about this question. It's a text that prompted the question for me. In fact, the whole book of Deuteronomy is an interesting book because in a very almost geographic sense, as Moses was preaching this sermon, because Deuteronomy was an expository sermon or a series of them that Moses preached to the Israelites, Israel was very much geographically in a place right between a very much of a bad time and very much of a good time. They had just come out of 40 years of wilderness wanderings of deprivation, of living just out in the desert as nomads, depending upon God every day. And now they'd come to the promised land, and Moses is getting them ready to go into the promised land, which will be radically different. It will be a time of blessing. It's the, it's the land of milk and honey. It's, a, it's the very Edenic kind of place. And so Israel is right between the two, and Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 8 is reminding them of the past. He wants to take them down memory lane to remember what it was like for 40 years of difficult times. And then he's going to try to reorient them and prepare them for the challenges of life in a prosperous land. And and so I, I kind of wanted to look at both sides of those. And I think what we'll see is that they're different challenges. And yet right here in the text, the fundamental issue is the same. Will Israel depend upon God? in the promised land, the way they had to learn to depend upon him in the wilderness. So I was originally going to do this all in one sermon, but decided last night around 10 o'clock to make two sermons out of it uh, because I just have way too much to say. Uh, So, and this just text is is so rich. So what I want to do is this Sunday, we're going to look at verses 1 to 5, which is the, the thought of following Jesus in the wilderness and the challenges that are there. And then next Sunday, it'll be kind of like part two. And we'll look at verses 6 to the end of the chapter, 6 through 20, and we'll see the challenges of following Jesus in a promised land blessing kind of environment. But for now, let's just look at the first five verses of Deuteronomy chapter 8. Moses says, Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land that the Lord promised on oath to your forefathers. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you. And to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out, and your feet did not swell during these forty years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, So the Lord your God disciplines you. So for the past 40 years, Israel has been wandering in the wilderness. They've been living in tents. They have not been near a a Whole Foods or a stop and shop. It's been manna every day for 40 years. Manna every day. It's like, I don't care how good it is. 40 years of the same thing. They've been getting water from the rock. They're living in a desert. You know, uh, a desert is, it's, it's just not, you don't live in a desert. You go through a desert or you die in a desert, but you don't live there. It's just a very difficult place to live. You get a picture of it there in verse 15. If you go down to the end of the chapter, you get a little description. He led you through that vast and dreadful desert, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of the hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the desert, something your fathers had never known, to humble you and to test you so that in the end it might go well with you. It's been 40 years of testing, deprivation, going without. It's been a long, hard stretch. It's hard to follow God in the desert. It's, it's challenging. And then what's interesting in this text, though, going back to chapter 8, verses 1 to 5, is that now as Moses reflects on those 40 years, he does something really fascinating. He actually explains to the Israelites why God had them in the desert for 40 years. He gives them the reasons for the testing, which I think is interesting because most of the times when we go through challenges, whether it's an economic challenge or a health issue or a relationship that just cannot get straightened out or whatever it is that we're facing that, that gives us stress, you know, we often ask, why? You know, why, God? And the heavens are silent. And we don't know why a lot of things happen to us. We don't know all the reasons why we go through the challenges that we face in life. But here's this really intriguing text where basically Moses says, I'm going to tell you why some of these things happen. I'm going to give you reasons that God brought you through this. And, and as we'll see, it, it was challenging, but God had a purpose in all of it. So so here you have in, in these verses what I think are four at least four reasons. That Moses gives that Israel went through this hard time in the wilderness and and really they apply to us as well Why does God bring us through hard times as Christians? I don't have all the answers to that But I think here's some answers from from the Lord and from his word So the first reason the first thing God does for us when we go through adversity deprivation difficulty grief number one He humbles us He humbles us look at verse 2 Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years. Why? To humble you. Verse 3, He humbled you. Verse 16, He gave humanity in the desert, something your fathers had not known, ever known, to humble you. Uh, one of the key basic principles of biblical interpretation is repetition. If something's repeated, it's probably a main point. He's humbling us. God's trying to humble us through these things. Because here's the thing, you know, we're just so full of ourselves. We think we're so smart. You know, everybody has opinions about everything and everyone assumes their opinions about politics and theology and finance and economics and sports and whatever. We we just think we're right. I mean, I think I'm right, you know. No one goes around saying I have a lot of opinions and about 95% are wrong. But we just don't think that way. We're just like, you know, I'm going to call that talk radio show and I'm going to give them a piece of my mind because everyone on planet Earth needs to hear my opinion. Because, you know, we're, we're full of our, our own theories. We're full of our success. We're full of our money. We're full of our education. We're full of our accomplishments. We're full of it, really. We're just full. We're full. And then adversity comes and God humbles us. He pulls the plug and what we're so full of just drains right out. <laughs> You know, and I find out I'm actually quite fragile, physically. I'm actually quite fragile emotionally. I'm not as tough as I thought. I find out that my my spirituality, that I thought was so impervious to temptation and sin, isn't as strong as I thought. I find that that I can fall back into things I never thought I'd fall back into again. I find that that I all the solutions I've always telling other people to do, I can't even do myself. Wow! I really. I'm really not the man of Steel or Wonder Woman, or which the case may be, that I thought I was and and he humbles us and he brings us low, and he helps us to see that truly we are just dust that God has breathed life into that truly we are like the grass of the field that that withers and fades in an instant we We're so fragile and so limited, and our knowledge runs out so quickly, and our solutions fall short much faster. Than we'd like to admit and, and so he humbles us through suffering it's a very humbling experience um i had a professor once as a christian professor brilliant uh wrote really great books that i still like but this professor was sort of was known on campus as kind of having a little bit of an attitude and you know sort of putting students in their place when they you know challenged him in class not that that ever happened to me in class when I challenged him in front of 300 people and he totally was like, you know. But anyway, I'm, I'm over it now. Um, but <laughs> so, so, so this sometime later um, when I wasn't in this institution anymore, this uh, I was talking to someone and somehow that professor's name came up. I don't remember how. But but I then I, he, this, I was informed this professor had actually gone through a really kind of life threatening illness and had come out the other side. And and this person just said as an aside you know, everyone's noticed it's really humbled him. And th- that's what illness can do or anything can do. It just humbles us. It reminds us of who we are. And that's painful. That's why following God in the wilderness is painful, because it's humbling and our egos do not go down without a fight. We don't like this idea that we're not in control, but God will bring us to that place. he so humble us. But, you know, being humbled is a gift. Being humbled is a good thing. Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the meek, they shall inherit the earth. God says in Isaiah fifty seven, I love this verse, he says, I, I live in a high and holy place, but also with him who is lowly and contrite in spirit. God loves to be near those who are lowly and broken. You can't enter the kingdom of God and be saved without being humble. You have to come and repent of your sins and say, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. That's a very humbling position to enter into. And so, humility is a gift. Uh, you, you know, if you're in a season of difficulty right now, a season of pain, I suppose we all are. In some way, you could just say this whole life is that in the wilderness to some degree. And you wonder why is this happening? I, I would suggest, if nothing else, God is humbling you. God is giving you the gift of dependency upon him by recognizing how limited we really are. And so the Lord humbles us. That's one thing he's doing. That's why it's difficult to follow him in the wilderness because humility is a hard lesson, but it's a great gift. The second thing he's doing is he's testing. God tests us in the wilderness. The wilderness is always in the Bible the place of testing. It's the place where you go to to find out what the truth is and to find out what's really inside of you. And and you see that in these verses, verse 3 again. He humbled you, um, sorry, go back to verse 2. He did all this to humble you and to test you. Again, verse 16, he did this to humble and to test you so that it may go well with you. Um, And and why did he test us? In in mind, testing is different from temptation. The Lord doesn't tempt us to sin, but he does put us in places of testing. And why does he do it? Verse 2, he tests us in order to know what was in our hearts, whether or not you would keep his commands. So it's not that God needs to know what's in our hearts. God doesn't need to do any tests. He knows what's in our hearts. But it's so that what's in there, what's really in us, is kind of like squeezed out into the open. So we're all aware of of where we really stand. Because we can all talk a good game. We can all, you know, talk a spiritual talk. But when you get in those times of adversity, that's when that stuff just gets kind of squeezed out in the open. It's like, okay, this is really who I am. Uh, You know, I, I never cease to be amazed. And how just a little adversity, a little setback, a little flu, a little frustration, a few blocked goals can just make all my Christian talk evaporate so quickly. It's amazing to me. And, and I can so quickly go from, you know, love and, and gentleness to being aggressive or pushy or demanding because I'm not getting what I wanted and I'm frustrated. I, I can go so quickly from... You know, peace and, and trusting in the Lord to anxiety and stress. And it's like, wow, where where'd all that go that I talked about? And so that's what testing does, is it, it sort of pushes that out. And I discover w- what's there that shouldn't be there. And I discovered what ought to be there that isn't there. And I also see what the Lord has done in my life. You know, it's like bringing a big pile of straw on a, a plate of gold and putting it in the furnace. The straw will be consumed, but the gold will be refined and purified. And that's what God does in testing. He puts us in a furnace so that the stuff that needs to get burned away can be exposed and burned, and we can be purified through that. And, and he shows us you know, who we are for, for what we are. Um, this idea of God testing us is, I think, in some ways challenging for us as American Christians uh, because you know, part of the, the, the American worldview that we just have all inherited is is that life should be pain-free you know it's like something hurts take two Advil liquid gels you'll be fine in 15 minutes Uh, life life should be efficient life should be orderly life should not be a waste of time if you want something you should be able to click and get it in the mail quickly you know so it's like we have this very efficient painless give it to me now sort of experience that we just have grown up you don't even have to try you just grow up in it nowadays and then when we bring that to our theology, we have this kind of Walmart theology that says it should all be available to me in an instance without any problem in a nice, clean, perfect environment. And that's not what God does. He, he tests us. And we go, he can't test me. He, because I, I, thought, I thought when I accepted Jesus, the whole point was he was going to make me prosperous and he's going to take care of my problems. And I, I thought my life was going to become more efficient and more simple and more pain-free. God, God wouldn't intentionally bring me to a place of deprivation would he we don't even know what to do with it so we bring all these weird things into our theology oh satan's attacking me Satan, you know it's always if it's bad it has to be satan it's like well but god is in charge god doesn't lose control he's sovereign even in the book of job where satan did all those things to job job says the lord gives the lord takes away and and the, the commentator says and job did not sin in what he said because god is sovereign he's the one who Leads us and guides us, and He leads us through valleys of the shadow of death. Why, in part to humble us, in part to test us. I think uh, you know, just to give one little example. This isn't a, a major test, but it's something that we've all experienced as a congregation. Just the test of trying to do a building project. You know, it's a time of testing for us. It's a time of going without. It's really inconvenient having to park, you, you know, back in the you know the cheap seats, at Gillette Stadium, and have to do. It's a quarter mile from the back of that parking lot to this front door, you know, you know, and, and it's like we we can't host things. We've had to change ministries around. We came in this morning at at uh, seven thirty, and our nursery director opened the door to the trailer, and it's leaking because the ice built up and all that stuff. And so the four year olds are gonna. It's just it's a it's a pain in the neck, you know. And uh, some guy came in this morning is like, yeah, but it's what you've been praying for for ten years. I was like, you're right. Thank you for that. Um, but it's challenging. And and what I found is during this construction process, you know, there's been some attitudes that I've had that, uh, wow, I didn't know it was in there. There's been some things come out of my mouth that I'm like, wow, I didn't know that was in me. This Even this little inconvenience of a building, which is a wonderful gift, it squeezes that stuff out and brings it out. And I'm like, wow, I, I really need some more growth in my life. And so God loves us and He tests us to purify us. Is God testing you? Uh, is He trying to purify you? Is He trying to highlight things in your life in areas where you need to grow? And so God leads us into these difficult times. He tests us. He humbles us. And the third thing He does, and this one is kind of cool, is that He does provide for us, even in the desert. He provides. Verse 3, He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then Feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, he gave them manna in the wilderness. Verse four: Your clothes did not wear out, and your feet did not swell during these forty years. So here we have God as podiatrist; he kept their feet from swelling, he kept their clothes in order. Basic things that you're going to need if you're going to wander around the wilderness for forty years. Verse uh, you know fifteen: He brought water out of the hard rock. So God brings us to times of testing and difficulty where He removes things from our lives that would normally give us comfort and support and peace. But in the midst of it, what God also does is, as He's removing things, He also gives us things to keep us going. Not meeting every single need, or every want, but every need. And He gives us just enough manna to keep going the next day. Just enough strength to keep walking through the wilderness one more day. God provides those things and and so I think what he does is, is he a lot of times he takes away those other things so that we can recognize that it's him who's giving us what we need anyway, even in times of blessing it's all from him we just don't recognize it so sometimes he has to go, okay, fine, time of blessing, on pause, difficulty, ah, what am I going to do and God provides in specific little ways just to remind us that he's there you know so so you have some some illness that you need surgery for. So you get everyone in the church to pray over you and they lay hands on you and they pray for you and ask God to heal you and you don't get healed. What's up with this? You know, I followed the playbook. I thought I was supposed to be healed. And so you go to the surgeon. I guess I have to have surgery. I really didn't want to do this. And you you go to the surgeon and you start talking to him and you find out he's a Christian. He's like, hey, I'll pray for you right now. And the surgeon prays for you. And you go out of there. You're like, can you believe this? I got prayed for by a Boston surgeon. No. who would have thought I'd go to Boston to find a surgeon to get prayed over? Wow, God must be with me. And yeah, that's how He works. He just—that's you know, just a hypothetical. But He just gives you little things like that. He doesn't solve it all. He doesn't wave the God wand and make it go, boom. You know, turn, go away. He doesn't just turn you into Cinderella. You know, in, in the gown. You have to. You, we struggle through life like that. But in the midst of it, He gives just enough to sustain us and to know that He's still with us. That he hasn't left us, that he's carrying us through the difficult times. I had a cool conversation Wednesday. I had lunch with a guy who's planting a church, starting a new church in Pembroke, um, Presbyterian Church. He's a great guy. I was going to have him preach here in a couple of weeks, but he wasn't able to. But um, anyway, I got to get him here to preach sometime. But uh, I love this guy, and he just—he's struggling. You know, it's like he's come from the South to New England to plant a church. Like, you know, woo. You know. I mean, you know, he's trying to he's trying to tell people about Jesus in New England. You know how hard it is to talk about Jesus in New England. Now, imagine how hard it is to talk about Jesus in New England with a southern accent. I mean, it's like, <laughs> forget about it. Um, but, it's, it's, so it's tough. He's a kind of a wilderness. He's like praying and praying, and he's already led his neighbor to the Lord. And, uh, and he's got another neighbor he's trying to share the, about Christ with and just tell them. And there's some guy and his girlfriend, and they live in, in the house with the parents, and he can't really talk to them. but And he's never met the parents. He always wondered who the parents was. One day he saw the mother coming out, you know, doing the, the uh, garbage or whatever. And so he went over like, hi, nice to meet you. She's like, oh, you're the one starting the church. He said, yeah. She goes, oh, I'm a born-again Christian. He was like, you are? You know, how did that happen? She says, years ago, I took my kid to some thing at a church, and we had to open our hymnals and sing some song. And in the hymnal, there was one of the lines, which was a quote from the Bible. And when I read that, God... Changed my heart, and I believe in Jesus in that moment, and, and I was I was saved, and I've been saved ever since. You know, no sermon, no evangelistic tract, no sales pitch, just the Word of God changing our hearts, which is how we're changed anyway. You know, it's always the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. So, so the Word of God is the the conduit through which that supernatural gift of faith that I don't understand comes to us. And it happened there, and he was just so encouraged. He was telling me, he's like, man. God can do this. If God can save a Yankee with a line from a hymnal, you know, God can use me. This church plant can happen, you know. And that's how He does. He doesn't solve all the problems. You know, He, he didn't give this church planter, you know, two hundred thousand dollars and say, "Plant a church." But He just gave him enough faith to say, "Look, I am here, and if if, if I want to save all the South Shore in an instant, I can do it. I can do whatever I want. Just trust me. Keep planting this church." And so God keeps us going. He provides in the wilderness. And He wants to teach us that He is our provider, that, that He is the one who sustains us. And that's difficult because, again, we like to have a big cushion. We like to have a large savings account. We like to have a good insurance policy. We like to have a pension. It's tough to live day by day on manna. It's not, not fiscally responsible. <laughs> but, but to trust Him each day, it's a very difficult place to be. But it's good. Because we learned that he really does provide. That even when I do have the pension and all 401k, that was his provision too anyway. So I need to trust him with all that. And so the wilderness is a time of humbling. It's a time of testing. It's a time of miraculous provision. And so maybe you're in that spot now. You need to open up your eyes and sort of change the channel in your head and look around for how God's providing for you, maybe in ways you haven't even thought of yet. And then the last one, and, and this kind of pulls all of them together, is that the wilderness is also a time for God to discipline us as a father disciplines his son. Look at verse 5. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. That word discipline, uh, the Hebrew word has kind of a range of meaning. At one extreme it can mean uh, something like punishing a criminal for a crime. At the other end of the spectrum it has a meaning like Training and teaching your kid, and obviously in this context, because context tells us how a word is being used, that the context says this is really about the latter. It's about training a child. So, so it's not so much, you know, punishing a criminal because he did something bad, but it's more helping a child be shaped and, and to train them. God's like, I'm the father. You're my child. I'm going to discipline you. You know, this is basic parenting. You have to discipline children unless you want to raise a little narcissist. You know. You know, you, you have to, as a parent, intentionally apply discomfort to children so that they learn how to respond. Parents who always capitulate to their kids, parents who are always giving their kids whatever they want, parents who always respond to the tantrum by just giving their kids what they want, are just being bad parents. You have to say no, and you have to stick with it, because you want to train the child and shape them so, so that they learn that they're not the center of the universe, That there are other human beings out there who matter. And and that things matter beyond themselves. So we discipline kids in the same way God says, I discipline you. Because He loves us. And so that's it. He's teaching us. He's training us. Or, you know, look at verse 16. He gave you manna to eat in the desert, something your fathers had never known to humble you, to test you. Here we go. So that in the end, it might go well with you. In the end. That's discipline. It's short-term pain for a long-term blessing. You know, the opposite is short-term blessing, give them what they want for long-term pain. And, and, and discipline is, no, no, we're going we're to teach you something now. And God teaches us. So that's what He does in, in hard times. He teaches us. And what is it that He wants to teach us above all else? He wants to teach us to depend upon Him. That's what all this is about. And as we'll see next week, same thing in the good times as in the bad times. The fundamental lesson is depend upon the Lord. God humbles us and reduces our self-sufficiency so that we'll depend upon the Lord. God tests us, shows us our flaws so that we say, I still need a Savior. We'll depend upon the Lord. God provides a miraculous way so that I see He can provide. So I'll depend upon the Lord. And God disciplines us and teaches us to depend upon the Lord, or as it says in verse 3, that you may be taught that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. We need to learn that God is our life. Not bread, not food. Yeah, those things are physical things, but God is my life. His Word is what gives me life. That's what sustains me. God is enough, and the Lord is enough for you and not just for your physical needs, for your spiritual needs as well it 's not just that we need God to provide us with you know jobs and homes and things like that, which He does, but at a deeper level, we have to recognize that i 'm i 'm spiritually bankrupt, and I need god 's special provision and hopefully, what happens in times of adversity is our physical, emotional, social, financial whatever adversity is a pathway to see. our our spiritual need and our spiritual bankruptcy i think that's why luke said blessed are the poor and matthew said blessed are the poor in spirit because it's tough to separate those two they're they're kind of connected when i'm poor i tend to say wow i'm in need Ooh, i may have other needs and and i begin to see my neediness for the lord at a deeper level so god often uses adversity to do that and so god wants us to see that spiritual need because here's the thing this is kind of scary did you know it's possible to go through adversity in life but to miss the lesson of seeing our spiritual need? People do it all the time. They go through tough things in life and they don't get that deeper lesson. Here, here's how it goes. A person thinks this. They're like, you know what? I've had it rough in this life. I, I, I've, I've had a bad hand dealt to me. I've had problems that other people haven't had. I've had health issues that came out of nowhere, no fault of my own. Had all these bad things happen to me. And so, you know what, God kind of owes me. So I know I'm going to heaven if there's a heaven. Because how could God send me to hell? How could he send me to worse things? I've already had a bad enough This I've earned it. I've done my time. I've put in my my difficult years. And now he owes me. He owes me good things. It's like, no, you're missing the lesson. You're missing it. You know, don't, don't waste your adversity. You know, see, l- let the difficulties in your life lead you to see your need for the Lord. Not coming at Him as if He owes you something, but just seeing, wow, not only am I struggling with this and this, but I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. And see that it's the Lord who provides. Even that. Because the Lord has given us the greatest provision of all. He's given us Jesus Christ, His only Son. The great mediator for our deepest needs um you know man shall not live by bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of God Jesus is the word God gives that manna from heaven Jesus is the manna you know after the feeding of the 5000 in in John's gospel John chapter 6 you know Jesus tells that you know all the crowds hey you're only following me because I gave you bread you know and, and besides Moses didn't give you the real bread I give you the real bread and they're like okay give us the real bread and so what does he say I am the bread. John chapter 8. Come to me, all you who are thirsty. He's the water from the rock. He's everything that all of these miracles pointed to. Christ is God's provision for us. He's the Word of God. He's the bread from heaven. He's the water from the rock. He's everything that we need. So we need to keep our eyes on Him and focus on Him. And not only did, did He... Is he the provision? But he did everything that we needed to be done for us in order to be provided for. He lived a life of obedience. You know, he's the only person who ever went through the gauntlet of suffering in this life and came out the other side with an A. You know, I look at my report card going through the gauntlet of suffering, it's like F. (laughs) F. (laughs) You know, incomplete, didn't turn in homework. (laughs) F, you know. But he went through it 40 days in the wilderness recapitulating, reliving Israel's 40 years in the wilderness, being tempted by the devil. The devil says, hey, you're hungry. There's a rock turned into bread. Show me what you got. Show me your stuff, Messiah. And Jesus says, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And not only did he live a life of perfect obedience, but at the end he faced the final deprivation, which was the cross. And there in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, Lord, if you could take this cup from me, fine, but if not, not my will, but yours be done. And so even on the eve of the crucifixion, he was praying, Lord, I will trust your word. And if your word says go to the cross, that's what I'll do. And so because he went to the cross, we have forgiveness through his sacrifice for us. And so Jesus is all that we need. He is God's great provision. And so don't waste your adversity. God has sent adversity into your life to push you lovingly toward Jesus, to bring you to meet the Savior. And So have hope. Have encouragement that God has not left you. It's not purposeless suffering. It's, it's difficulty to bring us closer and closer to Christ. Because ultimately, you know, the solution to the problems of this world is a new world. And God's going to bring it for those who are in the Lord. Because here's the thing. If you have Jesus, if you have Jesus then this world and this life is as close as you will ever get to hell. And if you don't have Jesus, this world and this life is as close as you will ever get to heaven. Let's pray.